Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com/fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com/fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Are you growing lavender? Our favorite retired college horticulture professor, Debbie Flower, has tips on how to rejuvenate aging lavender plants. UC Davis Arboretum Superintendent Emeritus Warren Roberts tells us all about that prolific summer bloomer, the crepe myrtle tree. How can you tell when it's best for harvesting backyard fruits and vegetables? And when you bring them inside, where's the best place to store them to last the longest? Do you put them on the counter, in the refrigerator, or maybe some combination of both? We supply the answers to those questions for some of our most popular backyard crops. It's all on episode 125 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery, and we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. Hi, Fred. It's Terry up here in Nevada City, Zone 7. Can you talk lavender? I've got some seven or eight-year-old lavender plants. They're the Du Provence variety, and I'm getting a lot of dieback. Part of the plant is dying back. So I was wondering if it has anything to do with the rock mulch that I put under there. And also, they get full of leaves, the oak leaves. So in the springtime, I'm clearing out all the oak leaves that are packed into the plant. Can you... Talk about lavender for me, please. Thank you. Bye. Terry, thanks so much for your question. Thanks for using speakpipe.com slash garden basics for uh, getting us that question. It's easy to use. Everybody ought to try it. You can, no data charges. It's free. Go ahead and give it a try. Speakpipe.com slash garden basics. Debbie Flowers here to help us answer garden questions here on the Garden Basics Podcast. Terry is in Nevada City in the mm-hmm. Sierra Foothills, which is about 2,500, 3,000 feet, mm-hmm. I'm reckoning. I'm guessing. I don't know. Yeah. And she said USDA Zone 7, right. and that gets cold. That's down to zero or five degrees. Yes, I taught up there for a while, and I would drive from the Sacramento area. It took me up at least an hour up to the Nevada City campus of Sierra College, and sometimes there would be snow there. Yes. Yeah. All right. So something to consider. How does lavender do in the snow? Um, well, Terry's grown it for eight years, so it, it, it does okay. It has right. the ability to take cold. Yes. Uh, she talked about using rock mulch, and that's fine. Rock mulch is is covers the soil. It's a fine thing to use. the The thing that piqued my interest is she talked about the oak leaves falling in the plant. And so that would be happening in the fall. And when we get rain, Nevada City included, it is in that fall and winter and into the early spring. And if those leaves remain on the plant or around the stem of the plant, they can hold moisture there. And that will cause death of lavender. Oh, okay. So it has a very sensitive crown area then. Yes, it needs excellent drainage and does not want organic matter collecting up around the the trunk of the plant. Uh, It can lead to uh, diseases getting into the plant and killing them. So Terry mentioned that she's using a rock mulch. What are the downsides of using a rock mulch around lavender? For me, the rock mulch is 
a problem because it limits where I can plant things. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, it collects organic matter over over time. She talked about oak leaves falling in her garden. I I can relate to that as well. And so it, those sections will get filled up, but they'll just break down like organic matter does. Rock mulch can heat up, but it takes a while for that heat to transfer into the soil below. Depending on its color, it, it can reflect heat up into the plant. And for some plants, that's not desirable. Mm -hmm. And if it's big rock, it can be actually very heavy. Yeah. And that can, can physically uh, impair the root development. Does it compact the soil? Well, not just sitting there necessarily, but if it's big rock and it was brought by a truck and or even a shovel and dumped there, that activity would compa would compact soil, yes. Now, Terry did not mention the reason for using the rock. I'm wondering if it's because she wants to use a blower to blow the leaves away. Yes, people do enjoy that. Yeah. And there are some examples of, it's mostly alpine plants that live in rock, that where you go see them and it maybe it appeals to her visually. Mm. The plant being eight years old, can look have portions that look dead. Lavender is a woody plant, and as it ages, if, you, if it is not pruned regularly, annually, then the uh, older stems will become more woody, and the plant grow, will grow up and flop over so that it could look dead and not be dead. Uh, in the winter, when it gets cold, it can take, lavender in general can take down to USDA Zone 5, uh, but it can look dead. It, can, it might lose some of its leaves and, and flower parts and such. And so the stems can look dead. So it's good to know how to check if a stem is truly dead. And that is to take your thumbnail or something equivalent and scrape along the bark. Uh, don't do it in a lot of places, but do it where you think it might be dead. And I usually start at the tip of a branch I think might be dead. Because uh, sometimes that can allow disease in and then that portion you scraped can become a problem. So I start at the tip in case I need to cut the, that off. And you want to scrape. It should come off. The bark should come off easily, and it should be shiny and probably green underneath. The shininess would be moisture from life, and the green would be the chlorophyll. If that part is dead, you can work your way back toward the crown, which is the center of the plant, and keep checking. And if the whole branch is dead, it should be removed when, it, when death is found. Uh, pruning of dead, diseased, and damaged plant parts should be done when they are seen, not at any particular season. One of my favorite books, the American Horticultural Society's Pruning and Training book, uh, mentions about lavender. Replace old and neglected specimens. Mm -hmm. Would this be in that category? It could be. I, she doesn't talk about whether she's been pruning it or not. I have a single lavender plant in my landscape. It's probably also about eight years old. And some years I prune it and some years I don't. And when I prune it, it's gorgeous and it's symmetrical. And it, uh, every year it blooms beautifully, whether I... I do that pruning or not but if you do prune you want to leave at least you want to wait until after it's flowered then the plant will generally throw new growth and if you have a one of those bare stems laying out because the plant has grown up and fallen over you might see new growth down close to the crown of the plant on that and you can prune back as long as you leave several inches of active green growth on the plant so you want active little stems with green on them and leave the reference I looked at said two inches. To me, that's not quite enough. I would leave probably four. And then you have, are pretty much guaranteed of regrowth and a more compact plant. And I guess if you prune back into the old wood, it's probably not going to re-sprout. Right. It. If you prune back into wood that does not have that growth on it, it will not re-sprout. You can kill it that way. If you prune it the wrong time, prune it in winter when it's kind of naked, mm -hmm. it won't recover. So autumn? 
Well, after flowering. I have after, okay. flowering is in spring. So, yeah, after flowering is the best time. Yeah, and that gives it plenty of time to set out new growth. Too. Right. All right. Okay. That should help. I hope so. All right. Terry, hope that helps you out with your lavender. Thanks for the question. And thank you, Debbie Flower, for your uh, lavender-like knowledge. You're welcome, Fred. We're glad to have Smart Pots on board supporting the Garden Basics podcast. Smart Pots are the original award-winning fabric planter. They're sold worldwide. Smart Pots are proudly made 100% in the USA. I'm pretty picky about who I allow to advertise on this program. My criteria, though, is, is pretty simple. It has to be a product I like, a product I use, a product I would buy again. And Smart Pots clicks all those boxes. They're durable, they're reusable. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit smartpots.com Fred. It's Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com Fred for more info and that special Farmer Fred discount on your next Smart Pot purchase. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. A lot of gardeners are experts at planting and raising vegetables in the backyard garden. However, figuring out the best time to harvest those crops with optimum flavor and nutrition can be a guessing game. In addition, few gardeners know the best way to store those fresh veggies after they've been picked. Here are some tips from the Home Garden Seed Association and the UC Davis Department of Post-Harvest Technology. For tomatoes, in most cases, should be slightly soft when squeezed before picking and fully colored, but there are exceptions. Large heirloom tomatoes can be prone to cracking, and they are actually best picked before they have completely turned color. They'll continue to ripen after harvest. Store tomatoes on the kitchen counter, out of direct light and heat, in a vented plastic bowl or a perforated plastic bag. Tomatoes shouldn't be in the refrigerator. They won't ripen there and they'll lose their flavor. If you're picking a lot of green beans, pick them when they're long, slender, and crisp before the seeds form lumps in the pods. Pick them often as beans can become tough and stringy on the vine. Store in the refrigerator in perforated plastic bags in the produce drawers, but you have to use them within a few days. Don't mix any fruits with vegetables in the same refrigerator drawer. The ethylene gas produced by the fruits is detrimental to the quality of nearby vegetables. And as you've probably figured out by now, summer squash is best picked when it's small. Small is better, especially when it comes to zucchini and yellow crookneck squash. They're at their most tender when no bigger than four to six inches. Patty pan squash is best picked when only three inches or smaller, and you want to store those in the refrigerator. What about peppers? Well, let them turn to their mature color on the plant, and that color might be red or yellow or orange. When it has those colors, it has maximum flavor. But check them daily as peppers deteriorate very quickly after reaching maturity. There's nothing wrong with picking and eating them when green, though. But use your clippers. Don't pull them off the plant. And they're best clipped when they're firm and full-sized. Room temperature storage is best. However, peppers, cucumbers, and eggplant can be kept in the refrigerator for one to three days. But you have to use them soon after removal from the refrigerator. What about melons? Man, oh man, I bet you've heard the stories about how to tell if there's a ripe melon. Well, forget about thumping the melon to determine ripeness. Watermelons turn a dull color when ripe, and the tendril that's closest to the fruit, it should be shriveling. 
For cantaloupes, the well-defined netting will turn green to tan. Honeydews develop a yellow blush on their ivory-colored rinds. And you want to store melons at room temperature. For eggplants, look for the nice reflective sheen when they're at their peak of readiness. Size and color are not necessarily indicators of maturity. As eggplants get older, the skins get tough and dull and the flesh gets bitter, so you want to harvest eggplants as soon as they achieve that smooth, glossy finish. Eggplants last the longest, which is only a few days really, when stored at room temperatures of 50 to 55 degrees. Now, who has a room right now in the summertime at 50 to 55 degrees? Well, good for you if you have a root cellar, but for the rest of us, well, don't put them in the refrigerator though. Just find a cool spot on the kitchen counter. And you want to avoid storing eggplant around any fruits that release ethylene gas, and that's apples, bananas, melons, and yes, tomatoes too. Now, what about winter squash? Now, there's a confusing term. Winter squash, as you may know, is planted around May, maybe June. But it's not harvested until wintertime. Winter squash is sweetest when fully mature. It could be mid-fall to winter. When it's ripe, the rind becomes hard and is no longer shiny. The way to test winter squash for readiness, test it with your fingernail. If it can be scratched but not punctured, it's mature. And then cut the squash with the pruners, leaving a short handle, and let it cure in a warm space for 10 days before storing it in a cool, dry place. Are you thinking of growing fruit trees? Well, you probably have a million questions, like which fruit trees will grow where I live? What are the tastiest fruits? How do I care for these trees? The answers are nearby, they're just a click away with the informative fruit tube video series at DaveWilson.com. That's Dave Wilson Nursery, the nation's largest grower of fruit trees for the backyard garden. They've got planting tips, taste test results, links to nurseries in your area that carry Dave Wilson fruit trees. Your harvest to better health begins at DaveWilson.com. The Sacramento County Master Gardeners have a new video posted at their YouTube channel about choosing and planting many of the cool season vegetables that you might be considering. The downside? Oh, you're going to have to look at my face. Sorry. But there is a lot of good cool season veggie info to make up for that. Again, the video can be found at the Sacramento County Master Gardener YouTube page, and we'll have a link to that in today's show notes. Plus, coming up on Saturday, August 7th, the Master Gardeners have a full morning of garden presentations on their Harvest Day Zoom channel. I'll be one of the presenters, live from the Abutilon jungle here at Barking Dog Studios in suburban Purgatory, answering your garden questions. That's Saturday, August 7th, and you need to register for this Zoom garden class. It's free, and you'll find a link in today's show notes. Or check out the Harvest Day page at the Sacramento County Master Gardener website, sacmg.ucanr.edu slash harvestday. Uh, like I said, there is a link in the show notes. Every week here on the Garden Basics Podcast, we like to talk with Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum. He is their superintendent emeritus, knows a lot about plants, and he always has an interesting plant for us to talk about, usually a plant that's currently putting on a show, possibly where you live. Today's plant of the week, oh, it's a tree with 
a long bloom season in the summertime. The crepe myrtle and warren. Uh, it's amazing the improvements that have been made in crepe myrtles over the years to the point where there are so many colorful varieties now that are resistant to powdery mildew. Yes, that that was the main reason they weren't grown in the Bay Area when I was growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area because <clears throat> with the fog, the um, and the moist, the moist and cool uh, mornings, the powdery mildew would kind of take over. It was pretty in its own regard, but you didn't get a very good flower show with it. But in the Central Valley of California, wow, I can still remember as just a little tiny kid being amazed at the color of the uh, crepe myrtles in Oildale, California, <laughs> in the hot Central Valley. It's amazing how adaptable it is. It can be grown throughout much of the Sunbelt in the United States. Yes, it can. It was first brought into the United States, I read, in, uh, I think it was Charleston in the 1700s. So we were still part of Great Britain in those years. And it, it became a, a popular ornamental, uh, small to medium-sized tree throughout the southeast. And it still is. It's very popular in those areas. The main species is Lagerstroemia indica. It is the, the one main species, Lagerstroemia indica, is just the tip of the genus iceberg. There are many species in um, tropical a Asia. One of them is, uh, let's see, it's uh, Lagerstroemia speciosum is a truly tropical one and you do see that in in the hawaiian islands and <clears throat> in san diego and florida uh, but the species that most people grow is is the the lacrostromia indica what does indica stand for indica i-n-d-i-c-a well it means from the indies which can be very broadly defined usually it means the the east indies which is to say uh, southeast asia it could be India. It, the, the name Indies, I think, is derived from India. Um, but a lot of plants from China uh, have that specific epithet as well. At any rate, when you see that, that's an indication of the, its origin in Southeast Asia. And so uh, what we commonly refer to as the Lagerstroemia indica is, is, is its origins from Asia? Yes, it is. Uh, t uh, China is one of the main uh, sources of, it, of its uh, diversity of, the, of this particular species. And I remember going to the, the National Mu Museum in Taipei in Taiwan, and there was a beautiful painting of a grape myrtle on a fan, uh, a, a very old painting. And it looked just like what we <laughs> see today. It was a nice uh, bright pink colored one. The Species colors for flowers can be all the way from pure white over to lavender or a light purple, and then to pink to some that now are dark pure red, and some of those even have kind of purplish leaves. So the uh, the limitation of, of color has expanded a lot. Also, the of the um, the uh, resistance to disease, disease and a whole series of hybrids that are particularly disease resistant, and they're the results of a cross between the uh, Lagerstroemia indica and Lagerstroemia species uh, subcostata variety fauriae. It's easy for and, you to say. <laughs> I know. The variety fauriae, I, I guess that would be how you pronounce it, 
S-A-U-R-I-E-I. And it's native to the Ryukyu Islands of Japan, an area which is um, cooler and moister, I guess, than China. So that 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 is the source of the resistance to the uh, the mildew. But it's also more tr- tree-like than uh, the regular one. And uh, so some of the hybrids are used as street trees. One in particular, the Lagerstroemia natchez, N-A-T-C-H-E-Z, has white flowers. I think it's I think I've got the right name on that. Mm-hmm. And it's used as the main street tree in, in Washington D.C. I believe it was the National Arboretum that actually uh, developed those mildew-resistant hybrids and uh, then named them after uh, Native American tribes. Yes, I think uh, Dr. Agolf was the one who did that at the National Arboretum in Washington, D.C. And some of the hybrids are, are low-growing and some are taller. Many of them have good fall color as well. So, for example, Lagrosomia natchez has the beautiful white flowers, a long blooming season, and then in the fall, the leaves turn a bright red. If you're shopping for Lagrosomias, it's always a good idea to shop for them when they're in flowers so you get the color you want. And then if you miss the the the, uh, the, ser- the search and gather during the spring, we'll go go through the nurseries in the fall and see which ones have good fall color. Because uh, really, it's some of the best fall color in the garden in, in that time of year. It is one of the most forgiving plants I can think of when it comes to pruning. If you asked uh, 10 gardeners, how do you prune a crepe myrtle? You might easily get 10 different answers. <laughs> Some of them can be quite complicated. But the fact of the matter is, uh, whatever you do to it, it will forgive you and keep growing. And you really don't need to prune it. <laughs> it, it really, unless you want to prune, then go ahead. <laughs> Because there's, you don't get any, uh, my experience is you get just as many flowers whether you prune or not. The capsules that produce the seed are kind of interesting looking and kind of added an, an, another bit of interest to the, to the uh, winter garden. Oh, and the, the bark. bark is yeah, exactly. The, the... <laughs> we, we both thought of that at the same time. It's the bark. Oh, it's is gorgeous. Beautiful. Yeah. It, species from the Ryukyu looks like it's covered with chocolate powder. But the regular Lagostomia indica has this beautiful patchiness where the bark peels off in in patches and leaving a very smooth trunk. Everything about the plant is beautiful. It's the crepe myrtle, Lagostroemia, which to me still sounds like a craft beer name. Lagostroemia (laughs) indica, the crepe myrtle, one of the longest blooming plants you can find uh, around for the summertime. In fact, there's an old farmer's saying, uh, much like uh, Warren, uh, you talk about the prunus mume. uh, Mm -hmm. When when that is in bloom uh, in late winter, then that's when uh, farmers know that's the time to start uh, applying their fungicides to the their uh, stone fruit trees. And the Lagerstroemia, the the crepe myrtle, has the reputation of when you see it in bloom, that's the time to plant your final block of corn for the season. Oh, that is cool. And incidentally, they can get big. I uh, saw one in the the, uh, Botanic Garden in Tokyo, and it had a trunk that was about three feet through, and it was about 
40 feet tall. Oh, so my. <laughs> in time. <laughs> yes. All right. Craig Myrtle, check him out. Warren Roberts, the superintendent emeritus of the UC Davis Arboretum and Public Garden. Find out more information about that beautiful location online. Arboretum.ucdavis.edu. Warren, thank you so much for the plant of the week. Thank you, Fred. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday. It's brought to you by Smart Pots. Garden Basics is available wherever podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Google, Podcast Addict, Castbox, and Pocket Casts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it. <laughs>